Raiders, Raiders. That's the battle cry, y'all. Man, you know what? I'm pumped. I am so pumped. I can't wait for the season to start. I already got plans to head on back and uh, watch a couple games and be a part of the festivities that go down before the games uh, with the black hole and all that stuff. But I really think uh, this year um, the, the Raiders are going to make a statement. Uh, that marks the 15th year I've said that, but this, this year feels different. I think it's taken a little bit of adjustment for everybody to kind of like uh, know where you know what's all part of that organization is one of the most storied organizations in the freaking world definitely in the NFL uh, best uniforms best color scheme best logo one of the winningest histories and stuff everybody knows all about the Raiders organization and um, you know uh, like I said I mean um, if, if they can turn things around it's gonna be really good for the NFL I always say that um, like USC when they in Notre Dame when they find their true identity and they get things back going back like how it used to be in the old school days. I'll even put Oklahoma and Nebraska in there too. I got a lot of respect for those guys. Then that's going to be fantastic for college ball. You know, the Steelers, the Raiders, the old school teams that used to dominate back in the days. Once they find themselves, it's going to be on. And I really think that the Raiders are about ready to, to make that resurgence. So, why am I bringing up the Raiders? Well, because like a week ago, I was flown back out to Las Vegas by the team to take part in this networking event called uh, Networking on the Golf Course. And um, it was designed to bring the golf world together with the professional sports world and business owners. Uh, there was some professional golf coaches that were sent out with each team. And I'm not a golfer, so I just hung out and I saw some of my uh, uh, former teammates that were were new players or current players in there in the mix too so I got a chance to kind of hang out and um, check on them and they're they seem geared up and ready for this upcoming year and it was just a really good event out there in Vegas it's a different world um, definitely different obviously when it comes to events and fundraisers and uh, promotional type events than there was in Oakland and, you know, I'm starting to kind of understand how it all works, too. I've never really been like a, a Vegas guy, but the more I go out there and I, and I can sit back and kind of take it all in, it's just like, man, it all makes sense. You go out there and you, where our hotel was, it's right, it looks like it's across the street, but it's not. It's across the pasture, and it's a long walk to get where, um, like, the Raider facility is. But you can, from the hotel, you can look out there and see that everything is building up around the Raider facility. It stands out like no other. I mean, you, it's there and you know that's the Raider organization. Command presence is very strong, um, but then you can kind of see businesses and complexes or uh, maybe even housings are coming up around uh, where the Raider facility is and stuff. And it was just like, wow, when this thing is done, uh, it's this, the vision is going to be complete. And someone had a hell of a vision, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, it's very, very real. Um, it's exciting and all that stuff too, because uh, it's always driven in our heads that once a Raider, always a Raider. And I feel that every single time I take part in one of these events. You know, so I look forward to being able to go back and uh, we have a reunion coming up. I'm gonna try to see if I can make that, but I have my own stuff going on over here. I got movie making stuff that's going to, uh, you know, who knows where it's gonna take us, but but a lot of good things is falling in place with, our, with a project we have going on 
called the it's a mixture of everything really we might as well just call it the Vegas project and part of this Vegas project are two big fights that we want to set up like uh, boxing matches MMA fight um, and we want to combine the different cultures different countries all that into uh, two to three different fights that's designed to spread diversity and connect the two different or how many different worlds or uh, separate cultures we can into one event. And it's called The Vegas Project. And at the same time, we're going to be shooting a film in conjunction with that. And that's called The Next Dana White. So, you know what? Uh, it's great. I, I'm feeling really good. So you, so you combine all that with being out there and feeling the love that comes with being a Raider. It just, it feels good. So it made me start thinking about and reflecting on the days when I out here in Oakland, you know, I mean, you just put everything in perspective because I, I was an Oakland Raider. I missed the day when they, uh, when they just left LA the year before I came, I think they were flying from LA up to the, up to the stadium in Oakland for their home games. But I wasn't part of that, but I don't know how hard or I, that couldn't have been easy. So I just assume it had to be kind of hard and kind of different and stuff maybe bizarre I guess if you want to use that word too but um you know but they made it work I think that was the year that uh that the Raiders won their first eight games and then they lost their last eight and missed the playoffs and I'm just like oh my goodness gracious this team is just snake bitten um I you know it's just I don't know what's going on but uh, but I'm gonna stay true a lot of our Raider nation is gonna is obviously gonna stay true and all that stuff because when the good old days come it's it's gonna be fantastic you know so when I think about that I think about my first days as a Raider and I just I just sit back and just like relish with the you know with the memories and stuff I mean it was uh it was quite the eye-opening experience mainly especially for me someone who uh, went to a different team first a couple different teams for the first couple years and you know it just things just didn't work out so I got a chance to see the nasty business side of the NFL and almost threw on the towel but I, I dug deep and I said, no, I'm going to give it one more shot. And then um, I was fortunately able to get signed with the Raiders. And then, you know, I get down here and you just hear the stories. And you, and it really was trippy. You, I'm a Midwestern guy. So getting down here and, and, you know, becoming a Raider and seeing the Bay Area up close and personal firsthand was trippy. Because it literally was Oakland's on one side of the bridge and then San Francisco's on the other side of the bridge. So people ask me and they wonder, why do I... I have such a, a kind of like a bitter, bitter rivalry sense in my mind about the 49ers is because, yeah, I, it was very, very real and very, very apparent how much better they thought they were than us. And it was a rivalry as big as any other rivalry I've ever known and seen. And it was right across the bridge. You could see their stadium from uh, our side of the of the bay, you know, and then they could see our stadium from their side of the bay. Uh, obviously, the two cities, downtown San Francisco, matched up against downtown Oakland, all that stuff. Uh, Oakland can't really compare to the, you know, uh, skyline of San Francisco just yet, but Oakland has one heck of an attitude that just like, uh, you know, we know we're just as bad as any other city out there stuff. So it was a fantastic rivalry and it was really very genuine, you know, and then so but but I picked my side and stuff like that. Obviously, I kind of said, you know, I mean, I'm an Oakland Raider and that's really that's really it. I, I don't really want to have too much to do with the Niners because of the fact of how much they did to us. The, and they went all the way up to the owners, man. It was just a hated 
rivalry that went all the way to the top. So, and that stays with the person and all that stuff. So those are the memories that I, I've been reflecting on. And hopefully those those days will come back. I mean, the, the, the Raiders play the 49ers in uh, the preseason. I think they have a, a training camp session with the Niners and stuff. And it should be reignited as far as like the fire that these two teams had with each other. Um, obviously, let's not get crazy with it. There doesn't need to be any like uh, violence or fights and all that stuff, but just kind of like the, you know, the joyful uh, banter back and forth and stuff like that. And then, you know, you compete one day, one play, you may burn the, the, the 49er defensive back. And then the next play, this dude may come in and just steal a ball on the, uh, you know, right from you and run it back. And then now the other defensive backs are, you know, escort them down to the end zone. You know, that's what I'm talking about. That's the fun part that comes with these type of rivalries and stuff so I don't know if the Raider owners and then the 49ers owners had a lot to do with with making sure that these two teams match up but I hope they do something like that every year uh, because like I'm saying uh, it, it does mean a lot for the NFL so yeah I, I can't wait to kind of see the what happens with that yeah so those are the memories that, that come back to me you know I think about the times when I met some of the Hall of Famers and stuff you know Freddie Belitnikoff was why we receiver coach and he was just so chilled so cool just didn't get upset by anything but at the same time he's coaching you in between you know plays and all that stuff and the one thing that we would always say is like go for the point of the ball Okay, you catch the point, you caught the ball. And and if you see uh, Freddie's plays and stuff like that, he he didn't drop anything because of, he had big old hands anyway, but but he would catch the point of the ball. That sticks with me now, because as, as I'm a receiver coach, I'm hammering that in the heads of my young uh, receivers, the same thing. I mean, it's not easy if you don't grow up thinking like that, you have a different way of catching the ball. Um, and then, then um, someone tells you, no, start catching the point, it's a little bit of adjustment but if you do it in increments and stuff it's it's a style that just uh it's gonna make it i think when i look at college ball players now they're that's what they all seem to be doing is catching the ball over the middle very confidently and they're they're catching that point and they're just in the middle of the route just no disruption one way or another and it was just kind of like boom they they got their hands perfectly placed they caught the point gone and um it's beautiful you know i mean i'm a receiver and that, that that's in my blood you know and so i'm looking forward to the our season this year and all that stuff too the raider networking event we just had allows uh former raiders the ability to just to kind of relish and look back and say man it was a fantastic time in my life that i was part of that organization and for me it was it carried over when i became a police officer too it was just every day i can't tell i can't even think of a day that went by where someone wasn't asking me about the Raiders or bringing up the fact that I played with the Raiders. I there was a shooting once that happened and, you know, I'm putting up tape around the, the you know, the crime scene and all that stuff. Uh, uh, just kind of, I mean, it's a serious situation and some guy rode up on a bike. <laughs> hey, kitty shit, Raiders, Raiders. And he just stood there and was chanting, 
Raiders, Raiders, Raiders. Finally, my lieutenant had to tell me to go over there. Man, will you go sign that dude's uh, autograph and <laughs> tell him to go? So it was it was a funny moment in, in a very serious setting. And it was like a bizarro land mixed with uh, like fantasy land too because yeah, I played with the freaking Oakland Raiders. It was a pretty cool thing. But at that moment, man, I'm a police officer. I'm dressed in my gear. I got my badge, my uniform on, and my duty belt, everything. Dude, I'm not a Raider right now. I'm trying to, you know, post up this crime scene so we can start figuring out what just happened. Um, so, but then I had to kind of like transfer myself, okay, from police officer, do, 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 serious face, to going over to this guy and high-fiving him and chest bumping him. It was really, really weird y'all it was really weird you know it was uh it was something that was like it, it was hard to put into words when people would ex ask me what was it like to meet al davis and you know i am not yet ready to tell that story of when i first met al davis i it's coming uh, some of the guys i work with have heard me tell that story and they still laugh to this day it's a pretty funny story uh but i'm not ready to tell it just yet but it's gonna be coming but when I do tell like little bits and uh, pieces about what Al Davis was like, uh, people are like like blown away. And then what was it like to you know have teammates like Timmy Brown and all that? You know, uh, I played with Chester McLaughlin. Uh, he was a he was a very well respected, well loved defensive lineman for the Raiders uh, back in the days. And um, unfortunately, he ended up passing away. And it was just kind of like, a, just all oh, you have these giant figures, you know, with these booming personalities who are all about the community, which Chester was. And then all of a sudden, way too young, they're gone. So, you know, I mean, uh, it just there's no escaping that regardless of what profession you're in, real life is always going to be there. So that was a struggle for me, you know, I mean, to, you know, you, you show up to your job, which as me being a police officer, you have to have this mindset of, you know, being serious and being alert and being very focused on what's going on around you because things could turn just like that. And then you mix in all the Raiders fans that are floating around our, our the Bay Area and our city and they love their team. And if they recognize you, it's like a completely different vibe. They're like pulling up next to you and they're going, Raiders, hey, what's up? And I'm trying to look all cool and serious in my cop car. And now all of a sudden I'm like pumping my fist and going, woo, Raiders and stuff. It was, it was very, very, very cool, I guess, but very strange. You know, uh, those are part of the memories that I carry with me and carry dear, you know, um, and no one can take those memories and stuff from me. Uh, being a police officer, if with that type of element was, was challenging at some times, but at the same time, a lot of my coworkers thought that that was something that I should use as a as a, a weaponry, you know, like uh, to disarm uh, people, diffuse situations and stuff. And it and I got it after a while. I can understand it, but it took me a minute because I didn't really want to be. Uh, I really wanted to be in the frame of mind that I'm a police officer, and I wanted to be acknowledged for my abilities to be a strong police officer and, um, you know, very efficient at my job. But there'd be so many times where we we're trying to talk to a mentally unstable person, you know, who's having probably, uh, uh, you know, a, a psychotic episode or whatever. And, and, 
you know, you could just tell this guy or girl's about to erupt and everything. And then, you know, the police officer's job is to try to defuse the person, get them to kind of like take everything down, you know, don't hurt themselves, don't don't strike out against their family or whatever, and just kind of put the knife down if they... There's been cases where people, guys have had knives to their throats and stuff. Don't do that. You know, I mean, you talk them down and they're having a moment where they could go either way. And and then I would, somebody like a supervisor or whatever, then all of a sudden we'll go talk to them and stuff. And then you hear, hey, are you a football fan? And then it took several times for me to kind of figure out, oh man, here we go with this again. The first couple times I was just kind of like, I did not like that because I wasn't in that frame of mind. I'm trying to, you know, see how I can assist, you know, either uh, come up behind the person and then knock the weapon out of their hand and then we get them on the ground and then we, you know, get them secured so we can help him get him to the hospital and get him some help. I'm not in the mood to be talking about football, but all of a sudden, yeah, hey, do you know who that guy is right there? And then the person would like squint and stuff. No, who's that? Well, are you a Raider fan? Yeah. Well, guess who that is? And he's like, who is that? Oh, that's Kenny Shedd. Whoa, okay, really? Uh, and then they, then sometimes, then <laughs> more times than not, they would say, who? <laughs> but every once in a while, I was like, what, Kenny Shedd? Oh, I remember him, Mr. August. <laughs> People would know me from August because that would be the times that I'd play in the preseason and I'd just dominate and then all of a sudden, then the season started and then, you know, the starters would get back out there and I'd, be, you know, have to get my money on special teams, which I had no problem with, but... Obviously, I want to start, but I made my time, made the most of my time during the preseason, and all I just needed was that one break, like a lot of other NFL players make uh, or get. You know, like like say uh, Tom Brady, his major break came when Drew Bledsoe got hurt. I went to the combine with Drew Bledsoe. This dude was the prototypical everything. He was the hot item all over, everywhere. Teams were busting their butt to be able to get their hands to be able to draft this guy. Just a fantastic body frame, amazing arm, just a brilliant, smart guy. Played at a big time college, and Drew Bledsoe, man, he there he is. And you know he kind of struggled here and there, but uh, you know I mean he did a decent job. But it wasn't until he got hurt that. People started seeing, huh, okay, uh, who else can, can take his place? And then all of a sudden Tom Brady came in. So, you know, if I would have had that opportunity, and I'm not wishing injury on anybody, I would definitely not, not saying that at all, but I'm just trying to say, you know, I mean, I just never get that opportunity to, to go on, on, go on in and, and capitalize on being given a starting role or whatever, a prominent role. My role was like the backup. And then we go to, uh, uh, like, say, if we're, I remember one particular time we're playing Atlanta and we're, you know, the starters, I'm not going to mention any names, but the starter, and it wasn't Tim Brown. So, but uh, the starter in front of me was dropping all these balls and just not playing very well. And we get into to uh, halftime and then our coach comes up to me and says, hey, Shed, get ready. We're going to start putting you in there more um, uh, when we get back out there for the second half. I'm like, copy that, coach. Let's do it. You know, and obviously they sit right by that starter. And then all of a sudden the second half starts and then this dude just just turned in like to, to a superhuman being catching balls off people's helmets and flipping over and, you know, catching balls, running past them. And all of a sudden the, the game, the momentum has changed and now we're winning. And then we end up winning the game and 
you know, there, there it was. There was my shot. It was right there and then gone just like that. So uh, that was just my luck. And, you know, I mean, uh, credit to the people who who um, who stepped up and, and paying their grips on their starting position. That's how the NFL works. I, I wouldn't want it to be handed to me anyway. I like earning my stuff. So, but that was just the luck that came with me, you know, but when I played in the NFL, I was always out there a balling and everything and stuff like that. So then when I transferred, you know, transferred over to the police department and, you know, I, I had that same approach. I would want to be focused and doing my job. I didn't really want to be talking about football. And so here I am now in the middle of a crisis type situation, I'm bringing up catches I used to make is like, yeah, hey, you, and I'm kind of just not really BSing, but I am kind of BSing with this person. Now I'm talking, hey, you don't remember that game, man, where I caught this ADR bomb and all that stuff. And sometimes they say, yeah, I do remember that. And lo and behold, it would defuse the situation. So I, you know, it was a real eye-opening kind of experience to realize like how uh, powerful the NFL was and um, I believe it was more like the Raiders. I, their the influence on the on the people of the, in the communities was so strong that all you had to do was just mention the Raiders, and um, it just def it just everybody wanted to stop and listen. So you know, I kind of started using it a little bit and stuff, and I wasn't as defined as kind of standoffish, I guess, about it. And I started trying to have fun with it, and every once in a while, I I'd use it out there. I have fun with it and stuff, and it all depends on on the situation. Obviously, obviously, you, you can't uh, jeopardize your safety or anything like that. I wouldn't go up to a guy who has a gun pointed right at me. Hey, hey, look! I'm gonna put my gun down, and then I'm gonna strike my touchdown dance. Uh, I'm gonna show you that. Okay, all right. Let's. Is that a fair deal? I wasn't that stupid, obviously, but. Uh, but it was, you know, if you have like, you know, a disruption, a family disruption and all that stuff and you'd, you'd separate the two sides and stuff, you know, I, if they just happen to be wearing a, a Raider t-shirt or whatever and all that stuff. And I, or no, most, most of the time what I would do, this is me and this is just me being me. If they had a 49er shirt on, I'd say, hey, how about this? If you, if you uh, kind of go back in there and apologize or whatever and all that stuff, I'm going to give you a real, sh I'm going to buy you a real shirt, the silver and black one with this awesome logo. And then you can burn that one you have on. And then they'd start laughing. Why are you a Raider fan? Well, actually, I used to play. No way, man. Yeah, shoot. Yeah. And then it would work. And then we'd have fun with it and all that stuff. You know, so, it, it, you know, it, I started kind of using that like people were suggesting as as my weaponry. So, yeah, I mean, I, 20 years of being a police officer, I've had my uh, episodes that are just kind of. Uh, you know, when I have grandkids, I'm going to be able to tell them some funny, funny, uh, kind of mind-blowing stories and stuff. One day that stands out in my mind to this day, and I'm, even when I tell this story to this day to anyone, they have a hard time believing it, that it actually happened like this. And you know what, guys? I have a hard time believing that it happened like this, too, because it, there's just no explanation that this happened like this. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you the story in as much detail as I can so you know there's no way in the world I can make this up. It just There's just no way. I can come up with a funny storyline that has something to do with uh, like a dog who uh, figures out how to uh, kind of build his own house. You know, and then and then he uses his his abilities to kind of like uh, trick the human into getting the wood for him and then all that stuff. And then he does something. I don't know. I can make it up on the fly 
I bet you, I bet you anything in the end, it's going to be super funny and it's going to be bizarre, but it's going to be funny. But when you read it, it's going to sound believable. I can't do that with this particular story because there, there's just no way in the world I can make this story up. So, you know, okay. So one day as a police officer, right, I, I had like maybe five or six years on, I, the rookie guy was gone. I was able to kind of like, uh, you know, feel good about hitting my shift and getting dressed and, uh, you know, getting my car all prepped and ready and all that stuff. I, uh, I had a nice little system and all that stuff. I knew how to go through my shifts and make it through uh, kind of kind of kind of experience most of the calls that were kind of crazy and all that stuff. So I was settling in and kind of coming into my own, you know, and just kind of feeling very, very confident. Um, I thought I had seen it, everything. And I'm not trying to say that this what I saw this particular day was uh, strange and chaotic or anything like that. It was just mind blowing to me and where I still can't figure out how did that happen. So uh, this particular night, I'm driving around and I, you know, obviously we have our other co-workers out in the streets and stuff. So everybody's kind of doing their patrol in their section of the city and all that stuff. I mean, uh, if anybody wants to become a cop, I will 100% back that up and, you know, and tell them everything they need to know about how to be a police officer. I mean, a well-rounded police officer, you know, because the nights where it's not crazy and you're able to drive around and look and make sure that you're driving by the businesses and there's no, nothing to miss and then you keep going and then you drive around the neighborhood and then everything's quiet and there's no uh you know suspicious cars lingering about and all that stuff and you know everybody's safe i know it sounds corny it really it, it really is what police officers take dear is protecting their area of the city that they've been assigned to to protect and patrol you know it's it's they take it very seriously they take it very personally and they they mean what they they say when they say hey you know they they, they just take it to heart so this particular night i'm i'm just kind of just driving around chilling and all that stuff and then we get a call of a family dispute at this apartment complex that we would we would go to every once in a while and all that stuff i didn't really like going there because it was such a big apartment complex and then so you had to figure out which door to go to like say if it was really really something crazy like a f fight whatever and, and someone's in there you know some of the danger of getting injured these type of apartments are hard because you got to figure out which is the best door to get in the only real way that you can get in is there have lock boxes with keys um, there's not, most of them don't have codes. And if, if, they, if they do have codes, you wouldn't have the code offhand in your head. So you'd have to figure out where the lockbox is, you know, just like picture going and you're going to view a home and then the real estate agent goes and they get the lockbox and then they have to put in the, you know, the combination on the lock or whatever. Then they get the key, then they, whatever. And you got to do all that stuff. Once you're done, you got to put it back. It's just, and sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes the key's not in there and stuff. And it's just, it's a nerve wracking process to try to figure out um, because there's many, this apartment complex in the city anyway. So that was one that was just, once the call came out, I'm just like, oh man, you know, it's just, okay, family dispute, a son, 16-ish uh, or whatever, is in a dispute with his mom, and then, and then the dispatcher says, we can hear the loud yelling, uh, the, we can hear the juvenile yelling in the background, uh, you know, mom's telling us that he's upset with her because of something, it is maybe a game, something about a game or whatever, 
um, you know, mom's being mom, mom's being a parent trying to, you know, uh, discipline her kid who who disobeyed her order on something. I don't know. I can't remember exactly what the what he did, but it was one of those incorrigible child uh, calls. And so basically the kid just didn't want to listen to their parent and then they're yelling back at them. And then the parent, they, they, when they, if they become so overwhelmed with everything, uh, they call us. In this particular case, it was a single mom and not to say that she couldn't take care of herself, but it's just kind of like... Um, you know, you can kind of tell that that it was one of those things. And like I said, I had so much experience dealing with all that stuff before. You could just already kind of assume that this is a kid who's trying to grow up into his own like little man, wanted more uh, freedom and all that stuff. And mom's getting nervous because he's kind of like messing up at school or smoking weed or doing something like that, that she's making her that's making her nervous that her son's going down the wrong path. And then, so that's what this was about. So she needed a little bit more help because he was a little bit more animated than normal. So I go to the call, I get there first. Um, and as I pull up, <clears throat> I see this uh, bigger kid, bigger black kid, um, long legs, what I remember. And kind of like, a, you know, he had a little bit of, he wasn't, he had a little bit of size to him. And, um, and I just see a kid, coming running out the uh, one of the doors of the apartment complex, and then he just darts down uh, uh, one of the roads. It's Hayes Street, um, you know, in our city. So he darts down, uh, which would be southbound Hayes Street. So I, I see him, and it just, okay, it kind of stood out and kind of fit, okay. I already heard that the, that the son was a black male, and this dude was all upset and kind of like, you could tell he was just angry anyway as he ran out there. So I asked... Dispatch, dispatch, can you ask the mom if the son is still in the house or in the apartment? And then they did, and they said, uh, negative. Uh, it sounds like he he left out the house or out of the apartment, and he's uh, he's wearing a whatever black jacket or whatever now. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's just him. So I tell them that, oh, I think I have the son here. I'm going to uh, follow him, and I'm going to stop the son if the next unit can go. Uh, make contact with mom, and then I'll take a, a, a unit with me. So obviously, you know, I mean, I don't know what this kid is about or anything like that. So I don't know how he's going to be. So I kind of I keep my eyes on him and then uh, monitor him a little bit. And then uh, he's as I'm watching him, you can just tell he doesn't know I'm there. He doesn't know I'm, I'm following him. But you can just tell that this was a very distraught kid. He was you can just tell that he wasn't trying to be angry or whatever against his mom, he was just, he started, he started crying. He's, he's like pouting to himself as now he's not running so much anymore. He's like stomping his feet. He's like, oh, you know, mom, I just, you know, and he's talking to himself and everything. Uh, I'm not laughing at that. That was, yeah. But anyway, he's talking to himself and he's, he's in the process of, of grieving and kind of calming down at the same time. It was smart in, in my eyes for him to leave because if, if he had lost his cool and put his hands on his mom, then that's a whole nother situation. When we get there, uh, we have to respond and react to that. So, it, it, you know, offhand, I'm, I'm thinking, OK, cool. He's this is the right guy. He's at least out of the house. We can watch him and, and we let's I, I think we'll be able to help him out. So when my cover officer gets there. I stop him and we t I, and I kind of talk to him. I'm the primary, so I'm kind of running the show. I said, "Hey, man, how are you? Are you such and such?" And he's like, "Yeah." I'm just like, "What's going on?" 
mom says I, I, I was smoking weed or she thought I was smoking weed and I wasn't, I swear I wasn't. And, you know, and then, but she throws it in my face and she won't let me hang out with my friends. And I just, like, and he starts crying again. So I just, I let him, let him get his emotions out and all that stuff. I'm really soft talking and everything. He was, he wasn't aggressive at all. Uh, like he wasn't like hated the fact that the cop was oh, he was very gracious in that type of sense. So and that was uh, obviously welcomed. So I let him get all of his emotions out. And, um, you know, and, and then I kind of talked to him like, OK, hey, how about this? I was a, your age once, too. I, there was a situation where my, my mom, uh, I got into it with my mom once the same age. And I'm laughing because I'm picturing what my mom ended up doing. We fought about something. And I tell them this story, you know, that's how you can kind of, you know, kind of relate to these kids and stuff is when you tell them a story that what happened to you. And I told them, well, in this particular case, me and my mom were going back and forth with each other. And I was at that same age. I mean, I even got a tattoo uh, around that same age when she didn't want me to. And I, and I said, I did it anyway. And she wasn't happy about that. And maybe at the time I did it to kind of strike back at her because I wanted my own abilities. I was trying to grow up and she was getting worried or whatever. So I know what you're talking about. Um, and then, you know, my mom, she was so mad of dealing with me that day that she left the house and she jumped in my car. The only problem is that she forgot that she didn't know how to drive a stick. So she barely made it out of the driveway and just half a block down the road until she until the car stalled because she didn't know how to drive a stick. So I'm out there, you know, but still at the house. I look and like three, four minutes goes by and I pop my head outside. And I look and I see my car in the middle of the road. <laughs> I'm just like, what is my car doing in the middle of the road? And I go out there and as I look, I see my mom uh, the back of her head, she's just sitting there in the car, just kind of like, just sitting there. Cars are passing her by and all that stuff, and she's just hating life at that moment because here she tried to make a statement, and and I had I was the one who came to help her out. So, um, and but at the same time, that's how we made up. So when I told uh, this this youngster that story, it kind of made him a little bit kind of at ease. So I'm like. How about this? Jump in my car. We'll go back to your house. My partner will be is already there. We'll talk things over. We'll have like a mediation uh, session, give you a chance to talk. If there's some stuff you want to get out uh, to your mom, we'll we'll do it that way. If, I'm sure your mom wants to kind of like voice some of her things and that's going on with her and her expectations. And we'll we'll help her try to help resolve this. Is that OK? He's like, yes, sir. Thank you. So he gets to the car. I take him back. Uh, we go up to the uh, his apartment. It's like how many ever floors up and everything. We go in. As soon as we walk in, mom's snapping at him again. I told you, and then just like, and then my partner had to calm him her down because at one minute she was calm, but then she sees the sun, and now it's she's raised up again. So this kid really did something that pushed mom's buttons. But in the in the grand scheme of things, it really was. It was innocent in the sense of it was just a normal part of growing up. You know, it's not like he went out and he stole something or he, uh, you know, I, I can't remember exactly what he did, but it was just typical growing up stuff, growing pains type things. But mom wasn't having it. She was like wanting to go at him again, get in his face. And so my partner had to calm her down. And I and then so that initial plan didn't work at that moment. But we're going to come back to that. We're going to try to get them back together, get everybody calm again. So I said, okay, hey, hey, where's your room? And then so we go in to his room 
And I said, okay, let's, me and you finish talking. Of, we'll, we'll let mom calm down over here. Let's let her get her out, out, out of her system. While me and you, we, we chill when we talk, we finish talking in your room. And then the, it'll, it all makes sense. So we'll get this all settled. And he's like, okay. So he shows me his room. Just a typical room. It wasn't anything. It wasn't like the kid was underprivileged. He, he was, mom had everything in the room for him. You know, it's not like it was like just a mattress on the floor. They weren't like, you know, poverty stricken or any by any means. So again, I, you know, due to my experience, I love, I just knew that this was just what it was. It's, uh, you know, mom and son just not getting along at the moment. So as I'm talking to him, we, him and I are really starting to kind of like, I get him calmed down and all that stuff. And then he's, he's uh, kind of getting more comfortable and all that stuff. And then I'm looking around his room and I see a picture. Now, picture a room that has just typical stuff, not many things like uh, poster-wise on the walls, but just like the typical clothes here and there and stuff. This is organized kind of well, you know, just the typical things that you'd see in a, in a 16, 17-year-old kid uh, who's in high school. But what caught my eye was this picture on his wall, like right over there by the bed. And it's a it's a guy in a silver and black uniform. It's a NFL player, which I already knew uh, because I recognized the uniform. Obviously, it was a guy in the Raider uniform, like one of this, uh, like a you know headshot or uh, like an action photo that uh, like a ten by eight or whatever that you would sign, you know. And um, it was like one of those photos. And I'm looking at it, and I already immediately knew it was a Raider guy, one of a, a former Raider or a current Raider or whatever, but I could just see he was in a Raider uniform, obviously because the logo, all that stuff. And so as I'm talking to him, I kind of get up, I'm on one side of the room, I kind of get up and I kind of mosey on over to the other side. I'm like, and I look at this thing and I look even closer, I'm like, holy shit, that's me. I swear to God, guys, that was a picture of me. It was my action photo up there in my uniform, uh, just kind of like, uh, just, you know, either about ready to run a route or about ready to catch a ball or whatever. And I'm just like, that's me. I, I said that to myself. This is odd. I look around and I look at him and he's not like, he's not registering anything. He's still kind of like doing his own thing. I think he might have picked up some game or whatever. And he was kind of playing that in the same time, kind of talking to me here and there. But he's not catching on to me in this very highly confused look on my face as I'm looking up and I'm going back and forth looking at him. Then I'm looking at this photo and he's not, nothing about his demeanor changed. And I'm looking at him like, this is me? Does he know this? I'm like, but is that me? I, I, am I getting pranked? And I had to be careful at that time because... Uh, my fellow co-workers were famous for playing jokes on people, and especially me. You know, um, I remember one time uh, when uh, Hayward Police's jail was being repaired or something like that, so they had to use our jail and for this particular time frame while it was being uh, re renovated or whatever. So, like, every day there was a, at least one or two Hayward jailers who uh, alternated and worked along with our jailers to, you know, book their suspects or whatever, and then they would work together with our jailers. And so they worked as a team for that uh, temporary type of uh, arrangement. So, so that particular day, I brought somebody in, and there was this uh, male jailer from Hayward who just came up to me. He's like, you're Kenny Shedd, right? And I'm just like, yeah, I'm Kenny Shedd. He's like, oh my God, can I, I heard so much about you. Can I have your autograph? And he's like, I'm just like, Oh, yeah, okay. And I just, I go and I try to get a piece of paper and he's like, oh, wait, wait, I, I, here, just put it to such and such and such and stuff. 
And I'm just like, okay, how do I spell the name? And then I look and I turn around, I see people snickering. And they had set me up. He's like, dude, I'm sorry. They put me up to this. I don't, I don't know who you are at all. I'm not even a Raider fan. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I was so, like, they got me. They punked me stuff. So I'm looking at this picture again, and I'm trying to figure out, am I getting punked right now? Are they, is there a camera? There's somebody in the closet, and they're just, just loving this moment. But I kept looking at this kid, and everything about it looks sincere. So I'm just like, uh, what do I do here? Uh, so I called my partner in, like, hey, uh, partner, come on in here. It was Rich Kwan, one of my favorite San Leandro police officers. I love working with him, this guy. So I asked Rich to come in here, and he's not a, he's not one of those game players. He doesn't, he's grown, he doesn't play those games and all that stuff. He's a straight shooter. Uh, he likes to have fun, but he, those type of stuff, he doesn't, for to play something like that. And he wasn't really a, a, a big sports fan anyway. So I call him in here, I'm just like, dude, take a look at that picture. And he gets up close. He's like, holy, f dude, is that you? I'm like, yeah, that's me. That's my number, that's me. That's me. And he's like, whoa, dude, does he know that? Now all of a sudden, Kwani's all like excited. He's like, does he know that? I'm just like, I don't think so. I, I, I don't know. And he, he's like, does he know that that's you? I'm like, I don't know. I just want to get, get it confirmed. So that is me, right? And, he, and I'm, he's like, yeah, that's you. I'm just like, wow. So finally, Kwani's like, dude, says to the kid, do you know this is this guy on your wall? Where'd you get this photo? He's like, I don't know. I, I think I got it from some function or whatever. I, he didn't even remember where he got the picture from. And there was no other pictures on that wall. No other sports figures. No other real pictures anyway. There was no other pictures of Raiders, anything. No other Raider memorabilia in the room. Nothing. The only thing that re uh, represented the Raiders was that picture on the wall, and it was of me. And he couldn't even remember where he got it from, but it's there on his wall as plain as day. And I just, I didn't even know what to do. And it was a bizarre moment, almost too bizarre. And, but it was one of those things where it's a one that's once in a lifetime type thing, you know? So I said, let me use this. And I said, dude, it's so cool you have my picture on your wall. And he's like, I can't believe that's you. I mean, when did you play? And I told him my story and all that stuff. Uh, he said, mom, mom, come here. And she came in and she's like, this is him. And then she looked, that's you? And I, yeah, I had some muscles back then, but uh, yeah, that's, that's me. And so when she, and then, and then she started like uh, taking her demeanor down and um, she started uh, like smiling and laughing and then she hugged me and then she's like, God, I can't believe that's you. The Raiders are this and that and everything. And uh, one of those things that it was just a crazy, gracious, fun moment. And then everybody, everybody in the room was just, just happy he just everybody was smiling and everything and i was just like okay well you know we stood in there another three or so another minutes three five more minutes while everybody was okay we were able to see that the mom's happy and uh, she's hugging her son sons uh hugging his mom we said you need the okay now in the future whatever your mom tells you to do you need to do it okay yes sir no problem yeah, yeah, school's going rough and all that stuff, but I, mom, I'm going to get my grades back up. I'm going to, everything's going to be fine. I'm going to start listening to you. 
and and they hugged and it was a great very great moment i'm just like look at quarantine okay man let's get the heck out of here this is like too bizarre so we left and the whole way down as we walked down the stairs he looked at me i looked at him and i'm just like like mine was blown i'm like i can't even believe that it was crazy and he's like dude that was so cool and it was really i kept it inside i tried to be cool but yeah it was a very very special moment so what ended up happening was that you know i go on about my day and then there's other calls and stuff that we had to go to and everything so we had to resume our our day on the streets like the next day i see that same youngster and he comes up and he's like Officer Shed, Officer Shed, look, I just wanted to let you know, look at this assignment that I just did, and I really, it was like a book report or something like that, and I got a really good job, I did a really good job on it, the teacher was really happy, and all that stuff, and he had all these fantastic things from his homework and uh, class assignments that he wanted to share with me and show how, um, how he was turning things around and how excited he was, and he was just a completely different kid this big old awesome smile and just full of life and just like he was looking forward to either graduating and all that stuff and you know and then he he's found me again like another day or two uh, uh later uh and he and he was just always reporting back to me when he could uh how well things are going how him and his mom were doing and how um inspired he was to to uh, kind of turn things around. He stopped hanging out with whatever bad group of uh, influence of guys or friends that he was hanging out with. And maybe marijuana might've been played a factor in that and stuff like that. So it, it just seemed like he had gotten a hold over everything and turned everything around. And it just made everything blossom in such a more positive way at the house, him and mom, mom getting, getting along. And it was just like a fantastic moment. Like I said, she was a single mom and they really only had each other. So any type of like uh, disputes between those two was would be detrimental to two people. I mean, it could has it could have cause mom to have a mental breakdown and then she's out of the game. It could cause the child to go and uh, do something to harm himself. And it was just kind of like, uh, it's one of those those kind of like hairy situations where, you know what, I, you just pray for something that's going to make that situation work. And lo and behold, I would have lost that bet if I would have thought that I was going to be the one who helped fix that situation in that type of way with a, a photo of me as my... Uh, me in my playing days was going to be the, the turning point but uh you know that's one of my favorite obviously one of my favorite days and favorite calls and stuff because um you know i mean with this kid how i first saw him there's a time when i was went to suicides to where sons were getting in arguments with his or her parents and then they would they would run away and then you know something bad would happen and then uh or in this particular case the son got in an argument with his mom and he went and he hung himself and maybe he wasn't trying to actually carry through on it maybe he was just trying to do something like uh you know put a rope around the the garage door and then you know hoping the mom and the dad were going to come around the corner and see that and they were going to get scared or whatever but i don't know but it literally went from those two arguing about him not having a job and doing whatever and playing games too much to him saying, well, forget this. And then he left. And then five minutes later, we get a call of a suicide. And so it just went down just like that. And it's just if it happens, when it happens, there's no turning back. So, you know, as a police officer, you really start becoming invested in these type of calls and stuff like that, especially when we're talking about youngsters, you know, who uh, are so impressionable and you would just hate to see them do something to harm themselves. So uh, that, that's, a, that's a moment that's very dear to me. 
and all the current Raiders and all the uh, former Raiders and all the, you know, I'll say the other uh, professional football players, they, they have to know and understand and accept the fact that you guys are role models and you would not guess all the different people or the different type of impact you have on society and it doesn't come into fruition until you until you go back out and you see what the Raiders are doing for this uh, city of Las Vegas and in the state of Nevada um, you know in the surrounding area you could just see things blowing up and blossoming and people are really embracing that team and you know and they everybody who's a part of that organization should be very proud of the fact of wearing that shield and wearing those colors and being associated to that organization comes a lot of responsibility and what you should be doing is taking that to heart and you know what the people around you will be very appreciative of that because not everybody's going to be able to have that opportunity to play in the NFL, less than 1% of all college players make it to the NFL. It's a, it's a beautiful thing, I, I, and I'm proud of the fact that I, I'm in this position. I'm a Raider ambassador now, and every chance I get to be able to uh, touch somebody in that type of way and give them a little bit of uh, uh, positivity or encouragement that, that hey, um, I'll take care of you, man. I'll take care of you. I'll, I'll hook you up with some Raider tickets now, but here's what I'm gonna need from you. I'm gonna need you to go to school and, and, and take care of your grades and be respectful um, and work your butt off, okay? And then once I see all that stuff, K-Shed is gonna take care of you. It's a beautiful uh, role to play. And guess what? I'm gonna have fun with it and stuff. So if you guys have anybody out there um, uh, who kind of believes in the same thing and, and has uh, the same type of mentality where, hey, let's let's put our heads together to try to see how we can make an impact for our youth. You know what? I, I'm all about uh, visiting schools, going out and um, having phone conversations with some of the kids, answering questions and all that stuff. Kshed Uncuffed at uh, Gmail is how you can reach me. Don't hesitate to reach out because I know you guys are showing me the type of support that I I'm looking for and that's making my podcast blow up and rise and um, that's how we do it man we take care of each other and um, that's the way how, how I was taught from day one as an Oakland Raider and it's carried it over as now as a Las Vegas Raider ambassador and guess what Raider Nation K-Shed Uncuffed episode 21 is wrapping K-Shed out